Well, I was taught uh, lesson 101 about preaching, never start with an apology. And I've got two. So if you are watching this in the second service, I'm apologizing to you because uh, I'm actually down in Montlazini. I head from here down. I'm going to be preaching in Montlazini at that service this morning. So they're going to be watching on video. So all of you watching on video, I apologize for not being there. I just wanted the church to hear this message. And double apology if you're watching this at the evening service, because I was supposed to be preaching at the evening service. But then our flight to Pakistan got moved forward, which is why I'm at the airport. Please pray for the trip. So apologies are now out of the way, and I do trust if you're watching it up on the screen that uh, we'll be able to connect and that uh, my heart would come across this morning. We finished our journey about finding our purpose. Was it helpful? Did you, did you enjoy it? I, I really do trust that you did. I pray that God's plan and purpose for your life would become more and more clear. But having said all of that, I've thought of finishing off today by not talking about your purpose, because actually, let me say this in absolute love, it's not about you. I want to talk today about God's purpose. What's God's purpose? It's fine, Lord, what is your purpose for me? But actually, maybe a better question we should ask ourselves is, God, what is your purpose? And so there it is. That's the title for today. Because someone once said this, he said, if you really want your life to count, then find out what God is doing and give yourself to that. Instead of saying, God, what, what, what do you want to do in me as if I'm the center? No, Lord, what are you doing and how do I dedicate my life to God's purpose? I love that scripture. It's well known in Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. Speaking about David, it says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But don't you love that? He served God's purpose. God, you didn't serve my purpose. We here to serve His purpose. Amen. And so what I want to do this morning, just for a couple of minutes, and I don't mind if it rains, it just means I'm going to preach louder and louder. It just means it gives me permission to be more and more passionate as I preach. Is I want to remind us, Outlook Church, that there's a foundation stone. Now we know that Jesus is our foundation. We can have no other foundation but Jesus. Jesus, His death, His resurrection, Jesus, the living Word, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. But when we talk about God's purpose, I want to remind us that there is a foundation, that stone that's been laid into Outlook Church that we need all of us, whether you're new to the church or you've been a member of the church for 22 years, I want us to remember this is a critical foundation stone of Christ. I want to read a couple of scriptures. One of them comes from Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, which is for me, it's a life scripture. This is when God was speaking to Abraham. Abraham is called the father of our faith, and later this was called the gospel in advance. And as I read about Abraham, you'll realize, but Jesus, this is actually about you. It says in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Does that remind you of anyone else? You see, that's what Jesus did. Jesus left his father's house. Jesus left heaven, and he came to the land that the father pointed him to. Now, Abraham did that. He left that, uh, the land of earth of Chaldeans, and he went, and he was the first one into the promised land. And because he responded, because instead of settling, he went. Instead of in his comfort zone, he left. Instead of doing what he wanted, he obeyed the voice of God. And he started this journey. Now look what it says. As I read this, I want you to count. I want you to see how many times the word are. God is speaking now. 
And listen to the words in verse number two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Isn't that powerful? This is that apostolic blessing. This is the gospel in advance. This is what it means to be a people dedicated to being a blessing to all nations. Jesus is the blessing to the nations, but church, we are in Christ. And as his body, the call of God upon his church is to be a blessing to the nations. But that flows counterintuitively to what our fallen hearts want. We want blessing here. Lord, we want the blessing But God, once again, in the glory of His kingdom, says, no, no, when you go and be a blessing, when you live to go, to give, to share, to serve, as you live to be a blessing, I will bless you. So we've got to face the fundamental choice. Do we want to go after blessing to bless ourselves? Or do we choose to live to be a blessing, trusting that God will pour out His blessing upon us? And church, after 22 years, on behalf of the elders, we can testify that this works. We made a choice Lord, this is a church. We believe you've called us to be an apostolic people. You've called us to people, we are people who go. Yes, it's not convenient to go to Pakistan. And this morning we've got a team up in Ingwavuma and they ministered through the weekend and they're ministering still. And we've got a team that's heading to the homeless folk down the ark shelter and to hand out food Sunday after Sunday. Why? Because Lord, you've called us to be a blessing to the nations. Because we believe with all of our heart, as you live to be a blessing to the nations, God blesses you. God will establish us. God will fight for us. And God will uphold us. In Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8, it speaks prophetically and it says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Once again, we know this is about Jesus prophesied years and years in advance. In verse number eight, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possessions. The inheritance of Jesus is the nations, not just the promised land of Israel, but now in Christ, his possession is the ends of the earth. Jesus, his inheritance is the ends of the earth. What's God's purpose and plan? To see his son receive his full inheritance. And remember church, we are the body of Christ. I want you to catch the heart that part of the foundation of Jesus is he's the God of the nations. His inheritance is the nations and we're called to be a blessing to nations. Which is why in Matthew 28, we know it so well, verses 18 to 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has authority over every single thing that stands between us and making disciples of all nations. Little confession, I have flown into Sao Paulo, the big city in, uh, in Brazil, I don't know, maybe 30 times in my life and, and this is a city of 20 million people And we're going to visit a church of about 30 or 40 or 100. And I get intimidated. As far as you can see, there's skyscrapers and buildings and it's just massive. You know, 20 million people are below this plane right now. And we're going to visit a few hundred. Lord, really, does it make a difference? And I remember God just highlighting, saying, Brent, every single thing that stands between you, us, and making disciples of all nations, I have authority over it. I have authority over it. 
And it's easy to come up with excuses and justifications. I can't, we can't afford it. It's too busy. I'm too busy on this. Whatever excuse, whatever justification, whatever obstacle stands, church, between us and living to disciple the nations, Jesus has authority over that. Do I hear an amen? Yes. So I want to talk this morning practically. Now, it's very rare. I sometimes preach the same sermon over and over again. So if you get married, I've only got one marriage sermon. Sorry, some of you have heard it so many times. And uh, I just told you how, I just do. When I travel to different churches, I end up preaching sometimes some of the teachings over and over about church leadership and strategy and structure. But it's very rare that I've preached the same message here into Outlook repeatedly. And yet this sermon is different Because some of you, I remember Viv was reminding me, it was originally called the Five Blue Chairs Sermon. That means it goes all the way back to school hall days. But I thought on the back of our purpose journey to remind, for all of you who are new, and for some of you who have grown weary in our task, our task has not changed. God's purpose has not changed. But I want all of us to align ourselves afresh and realize, God, this is your purpose and this is your plan. So... I need uh, five volunteers, but not you, the chair, but they've got to have cushions that are red. It's fine, I'll get the other ones just now. I'll start with this one. No, but I want red ones, not um, 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 black ones, red ones, because I want you to see. Can you see them in the back? Chair number one. It's fine, you can just leave them off to this. No, 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 don't, don't, don't mess my illustration. Go, 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 go. There, just leave them there. It's fine, no, 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 no. Yolandi, leave it right here. Thank you, just right there. Thank you. Okay, don't get sidetracked. Here we go. I want to start with this. Chair number one, purpose number one. Chairs are just there to represent the five pillars of God's purpose. God's purpose, not ours, God's purpose. What's the big picture? If we take a moment and think about the whole Bible, we think about the big story now, we think about, Lord, what are we doing here on earth? You know, when we we take away everything else, it really comes down to a simple love story. It comes down to the story of a father looking for a bride for his son. That's what it comes down to. The God of the heavens is preparing a bride for his son. And of course, every great story needs a hero. And we know that Jesus came for his bride. We know that Jesus, as the ultimate act of love, laid down his life for his bride dying on the cross. We read it in... uh, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. What's the purpose? Jesus is looking for his bride. Why don't you read in the end of the book of Revelation, it says, and now coming out of heaven is this glorious bride, the new Jerusalem, the people prepared, they've dressed themselves in robes of righteousness ready. Church, this is what it's about. But the bride of Jesus, the Bible says it like this, go and make disciples of all nations. The bride of Jesus, her glory is the more Christ-like she is, robed in the righteousness of Jesus. So when Jesus gave the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're talking about. Our our job, church, is not to build a comfortable community. We're not here just to make ourselves comfortable. We're here, Lord, because you want to use us to disciple nations. That's why we go to Pakistan. That's why we go to Brazil. That's why many of you go on outreaches and opportunities. That's why your mission field is your factory, your school, your environment. Lord, 
We want to see the nations reached for Jesus. The question, of course, then, is how do we do it? If that's the end goal, now remember, I've got an engineering background, and sometimes you start with an idea and you engineer forward. Sometimes you start with the end goal and engineer backwards, reversing engineer. So, Lord, if we want to get to that place where as a church we're being effective in discipling nations, then what's required? Great question. Glad you asked. Here it is, chair number two. Hope you can see it from the back. Hope you can see it on the video. Number two. If we're going to be a church that disciples nations, what's going to be required is we're going to need churches in every city, town, village of every country, in every nation of every continent right around the world. That's our task. Are you stunned or are you going to say amen now? Amen. That's what's going to be needed. There's no plan B. There's no one church you're going to just do it all by yourself. No, no. We've got to trust the Lord to see healthy New Testament churches that reproduce and expand. Churches that are a blessing to the nations, planted and established. That's why I do what I do. That's why we connected to an apostolic team working together with gifts to train and equip and help churches be effective so that they can multiply to impact their region because we call to disciple nations. So when I go off to Pakistan now, I'm not going on an evangelism trip. Let me tell you, the Pakistanis are brilliant at doing outdoor evangelism. What I'm going to do is to help train and them equip in a biblical, apostolic, prophetic model. This, to raise up churches that can multiply and impact their city and region. We've got a word for that and we call it base churches. Now when I think about the word base, I normally think, I suppose, like a military base. There is a difference between a military base and a holiday camp. I mean, a holiday camp, you go with the intention, I'm going for fun and comfort. Unless you've got young kids, then you're just going. (laughs) But if you're going to a military base, you know you are going to be trained and equipped and prepared to advance or defend your nation. That's what you're there for. Does it have a hospital? Yes, but it's not a hospital. It has a hospital so that the people who are injured can be strengthened, rehabilitated, and continue the task. Church, are we... Pastoral, of course we pastoral. We want to see people healed and restored, but we're not a hospital. We're a base where people hopefully can get strengthened, healed, restored, so that we can continue the work that God has called us to do. Does that make sense? Base church. If you were to climb Mount Everest, you're not going to do it in a day. You're not even going to do it in a week. To climb Mount Everest, you're going to climb at base camp at a time. You're going to climb up to base camp one and probably stay there for about three weeks as your body begins to acclimatize. While you're there, you're going to make some trips up to base camp two, down again, up again, down again, to prepare yourself, build yourself, get used to the climate. And then you're going to establish yourself at base camp two. And from base camp two, you're going to hit base camp three, up and down a few times, getting your route ready. Eventually base camp four, and I don't know if there's a five, but then you're going to go for the summit. You're going to hit the peak one base camp at a time. You see, the vision of discipling the nations is not one church. No one church is ever going to do it by themselves. We're going to need to work together, and we're going to do it one base church at a time. Think about the strategy we read about in the book of Acts. Maybe you've never seen it before. Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2, and this church in Jerusalem. It's a beautiful church. There's thousands of people. It's a mega church in Jerusalem, but it's only Jewish people. And Jesus had said, go, but they didn't go, so he allowed persecution, and then they scattered. So out of that first base church where people were being trained and equipped, 
He had to send some kind of shaking to get people going, which is why some of you, maybe you haven't felt persecution, but maybe economically you felt it because God's more committed to us scattering than being comfortable and settling. So whether you're going for economic reasons or for political reasons or whatever reasons, God is committed to getting people scattered so that they can take the word of God. Anyway, so from Jerusalem, they planted a church into Antioch. And this church in Antioch was unique because it was at this church that they crossed the cultural divide. It went from being a Jewish-only church to now a church that had Gentiles. And if you see the leadership team of the church in, uh, in, uh, in Antioch, it had black and white and Jews and Gentiles, Romans, Greeks, the whole lot. There was a mixture. It was a beautiful, diverse church. And then Jesus, looking for a church, chose Antioch and said, Antioch. I want you to set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for this work to which I've called them. And they sent them out as an apostolic team. And now we read those letters as they planted churches into different regions around what we now know as Europe and, and, and Asia. But that wasn't enough. Because now they planted another base in Ephesus. There was revival. Out of that church in Ephesus, it says the whole of Asia heard the word of God. But Paul said, but I want to get to Rome. That's the capital. And so he got to Rome and a church was established. That's why we've got the book of Romans. But we hear his heart. He said, but then I want to get to Spain. Because he knew. You're not going to disciple nations from one church. You're going to do it one base church at a time. Which is why we connected to this thing called New Covenant Ministries. We're not a denomination. We're a local church. But as a local church, we work with apostolic teams like Paul and Barnabas. And I'm part of that team. That's why we go. So that we can help every nation. When I go to South America the last 17, 18 years, this is the goal. Base churches. Going into Pakistan, that's the agenda. Lord, connect us with people so that we can train, help, and hopefully plant base churches into that nation because from that nation, they can multiply, spread, and begin to disciple that nation. Does that make sense? That's the kind of church Outlook is called to be. Not a comfortable, convenient church, but a church where you'll be trained, equipped, and sent out so that we can fulfill God's purpose. So another question I know burning inside of your heart is, whoa, if we're going to be planting and establishing all of these base churches, what do we need most? Of course, we need God. We need His Holy Spirit for sure. But what is the ingredient? What is the thing that we need most if we're going to be establishing base churches? Great question, and the answer is simple. Wonderful, kingdom-minded leaders. That's what we need. You see, it was leaders here. They sent Barnabas, and Barnabas planted that church, and he found Saul. They raised him up, and those leaders were sent out, and and then Saul got Timothy, raised him up. Leaders, leaders, leaders. Leaders, those who are willing to put up their hand like uh, prophet Isaiah, who's gonna, who can we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. We need kingdom leaders, but kingdom leaders. The leaders that Jesus raised up are very different to the leaders in the world. Do you know, up to the point of Jesus, remember all that Greek mythology, Zeus, Apollo, all of their leaders and all the Roman gods, to be a leader meant to be proud and arrogant and posing and you had to be, I mean, what was the point of humility? You want to tell people how amazing you are. You want to be worshipped as a god. And then Jesus came, born in a stable in Bethlehem, and he showed us the supernatural power of humility. You see, God's got an amazing plan. The kingdom of God is radically different. We have to understand the flow of the kingdom of God. Jesus, the son of God, left heaven and humbled himself to become the son of man. As the son of man, he humbled himself and it became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then it says, therefore God exalted him 
and gave him the highest name, highest authority, highest glory, highest reputation. You see, that's what happens in the kingdom of God. As you humble yourself, he gives you grace. If you exalt yourself, he resists you. That's what the Bible says. Which is why it's crazy when you look at so many churches and you think, dear pastor, why are you trying to exalt yourself? Pastor, why are you giving yourself a big title? Why do you want to be called apostle, bishop, this and that? Why do you want to sit on a stage on the chair? Why do you want to have the best parking place? Why? Because Jesus then ends up working against you. Our job is to be like Jesus, to humble ourselves and he will exalt. Does that make sense? You can hear I'm passionate about that because that's warfare in every nation where we go. It's that. In two days time, I'm going to be walking into a church to preach. And as I get there, they'll stop the worship because the man of God has come. And they're going to put flowers all over us. And they're going to touch your knee because they want to touch the knee of the holy man. And you're going to sit on a stage while they worship sitting on the floor. And I'm thinking, dear God, this is not right. See, this is what creeps into the heart of man, this religious type spirit. This, and that's got to be broken if we want to see the power of the gospel released. So when Jesus spoke to his disciples, they were walking on the road and they'd been arguing, who's the greatest of us? I'm sure Peter was like, obviously it's me, guys. You know, I was chosen first and I catch the biggest fish. And John is like, no, I'm Jesus' best friend. I'm always next to him at uh, lunchtime. And Jesus says, what you guys are arguing about? Nothing. I always thought to myself, how babyish. I mean, how, I mean, honestly, these disciples, who's the great? I mean, let me tell you, I'll give you a secret. Don't tell anyone. If you go to a fraternal meeting normally of pastors, it goes something like this. Oh, Caleb, how's it? Um, uh, how big is your church? <laughs> We'd never argue about who the greatest is. We just found new ways. And so Jesus looks at his disciples, Matthew 20, and he says, You know how the leaders of the world work. It's jockeying for position, leading with control, dominating, sitting at the top of a hierarchy. And he looks at them and they're probably thinking, yeah, we know how to lead. We're ready for this leadership thing. And he looks at them and he said, but not with you. Because in the kingdom, leadership is different. And he said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the captain must be the slave. Friends, we need kingdom leaders. Outlook Church, God is wanting to raise up more and more kingdom leaders, servant-hearted, humble kingdom leaders who want to lay down their life for God's people. It's not about us. It's about His people. It's about glorifying Jesus. Does that make sense? Oh, and we're almost time to land, and we've got two more chairs. So, some of you were with us when we planted the church in uh, in the school hall. That was a beautiful school hall. Some of you remember, we had so many great times there. There was one problem with the school at Arboretum. It was a junior school. And the toilets. Because they were probably last cleaned about Thursday and now it's Sunday morning. You know when things have time to percolate. And I remember early days, walking to those toilets, thinking like, whoa, that's not a good poiki, that one. And, um, and I remember those days going in with like gloves, you know, like biological weaponry, hazmats, all these kind of things. And, and my prayer was like, dear God, I'm the man of God. I've got to preach next, sort of send deacons or something. <laughs> and I remember God lovingly whispering in my heart, no, no, I want you to keep doing this job. I want you to keep, but Lord, I'm the part, exactly, you keep doing this job. 
And I mean, by God's grace, then God did send people along the line who took over that job. But it was like this reminder, you never outgrow serving. You never become too important to serve. In fact, the more you want to grow, the more we give ourselves to serving. Anyway, chair number. I know the question that's burning in your heart. Where are we going to get these amazing leaders? Not from Take A Lot, just in case you're wondering. Of course, you know the answer to this question already. Where do great leaders come from? They come from the priesthood of all believers. They don't come from the outside. They come as the people of God, work and establish and grow in their priestly calling because out of faithful priests, you recognize giftings of leadership on their life. Although I truly believe that every one of us full of the Holy Spirit who's called to be salt and light is called to lead. So I wanna ask you now, Please put up your hand if you are a priest. Okay, the rest of you put up your hand quickly because I'm about to rebuke you and I want to know who I'm going to rebuke. Okay, here's the thing. If you are born again, if you've given your life to Jesus, but don't see yourself as a priest, it's because you've bought in to a heresy that crept into the church that needs to be broken. A heresy is something that sounds like the truth, but actually puts God's people in bondage. You see, in the Old Testament, 12 tribes of Israel, only one tribe, the Levites, were the priests. So what the church has done, it's taken that model and brought it into the New Testament. We have the, the farmers and the workers and the soldiers, and then you have the priests. And the pastors, the new kind of priest, and maybe these musos, so you get the priests up here, and then the rest of the people are there. Friends, you can't take something from the Old Testament into the New Testament without taking it through Jesus. Can't take it over under. You've got to go through Jesus. And when you take this idea of priests through Jesus, what you discover is that Jesus is the high priest. He's our new high priest who died as an offering for us, who's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And then you discover if you baptize, if you've given your life to Christ and you baptized into Christ, you are now united with Christ, which means you are in the high priest. And that makes you not just a priest, a royal priest. So please turn to the person next to you and give them like a poke, but quite hard if they didn't put up their hand originally and say, you are a priest. You might say this lovingly, be a lazy priest, but you are a priest. You see, church, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have spiritual gifts, purpose, anointing. A healthy church is not a big church number-wise. A healthy church is a church where everyone has found their place. We're part of the body. Some of you are fingers, hands, feet, nose, eyes. A healthy body is when every part of the body is functioning. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, actually, it might come up on the screen. And maybe, I'll just quote it for you, but then I'll get it wrong, and you'll see I'll get it wrong. It speaks about how the body held and joined together by every supporting ligament and sinew. And it says, the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's where church growth comes from. Not just numbers, but maturity. The focus is not church growth. The focus is church involvement. The more you put up your hand and say, I want to be involved. I want to learn to do what God has called me to do. That's when the church arises. So when the priesthood is doing what the priest should do, we'll see the leaders begin to arise. Leaders, we can send you out, raise you up, help establish base churches to disciple the nations. 
And now I've got to land. So let me catch the last chair. Where do we get priests from? You guessed it. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Friends, we get priests from the world. They're your next door neighbors. They're your colleagues at work. They're the people at the sports club. They're the people with you at school. These are all of those who don't yet know Jesus. It's our job. Remember, we're modern day missionaries and it's our job to preach the gospel, bring them to church, trust that they'll come to know Christ because it's out of the saved come the priests. Out of the priests come the leaders. Out of the leaders come the church planters, establishers, those we can send them out to disciple the nations for Jesus. Does that make sense? Church, that's been our strategy as a church for 22 years. For 22 years, God, what is your purpose? Not so much what is my purpose. No, no. God, what is your purpose and how do I find my place in that purpose? Church, here's the problem. If, if we ever stop doing one of these things, let's say like, nah, who needs leaders in the church? You know, most churches, they don't have leaders. Most churches that I visit, there's one pastor who sits at the top who controls the church. Never grows more than about 50 or 60. He's in control. In fact, I was told, someone gave me an analogy. He said, most churches are like a pride of lions. There's an alpha male who leads the church and he loves to be surrounded by lots of lionesses. But the problem is when a male cub is born. And when a male cub is born, you know what he does? He kills it or chases it away because he knows one day that male cub's gonna grow and threaten me and try and take my position. So let's get rid of it. Friend, we don't want to be a church like that. We want sons and daughters with leadership calling to arise. We need more leaders. But what about this? What if we stop getting the priests to do what the priests need to do? What if it just becomes the staff team who does everything? Or just a few people who just do everything? When, if we stop raising up the priests, we're never going to get the leaders. We're never going to fulfill what God's called us to do. Church, what happens if we neglect this? church is big enough, we're comfortable enough now. Church, then we run out of people to train, to grow priests, to release leaders. We, we, we're never going to do what God's called us to do. We never lose sight of the fact that we're on a mission. You're surrounded by people daily who don't yet know Jesus. That's our mission. So I want to leave you with one last question. Which chair, whoops, now I've made a mess. Which chair are you sitting on? Maybe you're sitting all the way here. Maybe you've, you've never yet given your life to Christ. Maybe you're kind of sitting on the outside. Maybe you're sitting on this chair where you kind of, mm, I'm a priest, but are you priesting? Or maybe you, you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, I, I'm, I am a leader. I want to ask you not just which chair you're on, but I'm praying now you're going to feel something. Maybe the cushions won't help, but I'll pray it anyway. I'm going to pray that God would begin to heat up that seat that you're sitting on. You start getting uncomfortable. I don't want to just sit on the outskirts. Lord, I want to get involved. Maybe you've been involved, but you've never wanted to embrace this leadership thing. I can lead at work. I can be a boss. I can be a manager. I can be a business owner. Just don't call me a leader in church because that means responsibility. May your chair get hot, like hot, hot. Maybe you've been sitting here as a leader and yet inside your heart, God has been burning with a nation with a church plant. I remember so clearly as a 22-year-old sitting in an auditorium hearing about church planting and something came inside, love came inside of me and I stood up, I said, one day, Lord God, I, I want to plant a church. 
May you feel something of the commissioning of God come upon you. Maybe it's time some of you, instead of using your money and going to holiday club, come to the nations. Pakistan is beautiful this time of year. Well, maybe. (laughs) My point is this church. What is God's purpose? Yes, it's good to know my purpose, but more important, what is God's purpose and how do we give ourselves to that? Can you say amen to that? Why don't you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, in this moment of commissioning, I pray, Lord God, that if we've got comfortable in a chair, if we've been sitting in a chair for too long, that, Lord God, you would begin to stir spiritually something inside of us that would begin to make us uncomfortable. And friends, just while our eyes are closed, maybe you've been sitting on the outskirts. Maybe you've never fully surrendered to Jesus. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You like to hang around the Jesus people and kind of feel good, but you've never fully surrendered, never been filled with the Holy Spirit, had your sins washed away and become a true disciple of Christ. Maybe today is the day. That's God's purpose for your life. Maybe you've been sitting and and you've been involved But it's time to get more involved. It's time to step up and and really begin to serve and use your gifts, your spiritual gifts to grow. Maybe you know the leadership call upon your life, but you've been hiding from a ducking and diving and making excuses. And yet today the Holy Spirit is commissioning you afresh. Who will go? Who can I send? And something inside of your spirit is saying, here am I, send me. Maybe some of you have had dreams of nations or church planting or We hear amazing stories of of people taking their business, opening up a new business into the Middle East, into Saudi Arabia, into Dubai, into Qatar, into these areas where we can't plant a church, but you can start a business. And out of the business, the business becomes the base from which a church is established. God put dreams inside of our hearts. Because Lord, we want to live for your glory. Lord God, you are building your church. You're preparing your bride. And we want to say, Lord, let it be. Let it be. Friends, if you need prayer, if maybe you're on that chair and saying, today's the day. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Please don't leave without coming to chat to me or to one of the leaders or someone at the info desk. We'd love to pray with you. If you do need prayer in your body for healing, come and we'd love to pray for you now. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would guard it and protect it in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as we go, we go knowing your gracious hand rests upon us. In Jesus' name and God's people say,